Assembling the Lost Earth Archive, Loading Catalog, Volume 1, Futures Incorporated, Part 3, The Passage, Written and Read by Margaret Pennycook. Whatever angel had shown me on the vert regarding the outside, what I saw resembled it in no way whatsoever. The tasteful corridor decor must be somewhere else. Perhaps, like my apartment, it had lost its elegance for the same reason. I glanced back into my home. Smoke still swirled up from the distant sofa, but the flames were now hidden. The threat seemed less immediate, but I would not go back inside, as the alarm continued to sound. My body retched again. Something smelled very nasty indeed. A few feet from my door lay a pile of broken plates and glasses. Among them jumbled shapes of something slightly familiar poked out here and there, covered with a tinge of green. I stepped back. My hand flew to my face to shut out the odour. The mess fell from a metal box with a sort of square tube on the side. Opposite, in the wall, was a matching-sized opening. The box made a small whirring sound and moved toward the wall as if trying to reach it. Over and over it tried, only to be blocked by the mess on the floor. The box juddered. Another plate landed on the stack, followed by the sight of a glass heading the same way. Assorted items spread across the pile. A green liquid spilled from the remains of the glass. Small lights flickered, lilac and blue, on one side of the box. Delivery completed. I jumped. The words, stilted and mechanical, had come from the box. It moved again, this time away from the mess, but it seemed thwarted, perhaps by the stuff around it. It sank down a few inches and remained still and quiet. Realisation hit me like one of those snowballs we'd played with once long ago. The green liquid was my cucumber and mint favourite. The red and green items were from a salad order. The brown, a meat substitute. Here was the food and drink I so badly needed, and it spread across the top of a stinking heap. So much food lay in front of me, but in no condition to be eaten. And yet... And yet... Maybe there was something I could salvage? Several of the round, red things had rolled across the floor as the box had dumped the delivery. I grasped at one. A tomato! I should have thought about the situation for longer, should have wondered about whether picking up a fruit that had just been tipped over a mound of rotting food, broken plates and glass was safe to eat. I didn't. I bit into it and felt its thin skin give way. Sharp juice run through my teeth, seeds cluster on my tongue. In no time I chewed and swallowed it. I don't remember any sense of pleasure or relief. I looked around and found two more. I attacked them only slightly less ferociously. I searched for more food that might have gone astray, but everything else was too mixed in the unpleasant pile. I would have to look further. Holding a corner of the bed cover to my face, I moved away from the tip. I glanced once more at the passage to my apartment. I must not go back. On the outside, in one direction, red lights shone from the floor, in the other green. Reluctantly, I started in their direction. After a few steps, I tilted my head like the vert vid of me escaping. No helpful instructions rang out of the air. No glowing signs encouraged me to go this way to safety. The ugly passage had many hatches on either side of different shapes and at varying heights. Metal rails ran horizontally along it and from the ceiling. I came to another door in the wall. Did food or water lie behind it? 
Should I approach and try to open it? The tomatoes had helped, but they weren't enough to satisfy me by a long way. Clutching my bed cover around me, I stepped slowly in its direction, but nothing happened. I continued along the passage, scared of noises clanking from somewhere. The alarm still honked behind me, still hungry, still frightened of being away from my home. The floor was cold. I hadn't thought to cover my feet. The foot that had kicked the chair and given discomfort began to do so again. It hurt when touched, and now as I walked. Should I go back and fetch something? Recalling the effort it had taken to leave, I didn't know if I would have the strength to do it again. I would have to manage. Footwear wasn't unknown to me, but was something I used less often. Conditions were almost always feet-friendly. Doors appeared at regular intervals. Most of them were accompanied by rotting food and broken plates. Another metal box seemed to be engaged in the same kind of activity to the one beside mine. It had several appendages sticking out from it. A broad tube waved at a thick metal hole low in the wall. It kept almost making contact before falling away. Each time I noticed droplets of what was almost certainly water sprayed from the tube. For a minute or so I stood watching it. Water. I so wanted water. If I touched this machine, would I be safe? It must be company property, so it had to be safe, right? Funny how quickly that line of reasoning came to me. The tube writhed just above the floor. Much bigger than the dental cleanser, I could see it wouldn't go in my mouth. Not that I wanted it to. It lacked the look of cleanliness possessed by my hygiene equipment. I bent down and seized it. Nothing on the nearby stacks of food looked as if I could use it to collect the water, so I made my hand into the shape of a small bowl and held it under the pipe. A puddle collected into it. I pressed my hand over my lips. Most of the water dribbled down my chin and onto my clothes. I tried several times until I succeeded in sucking in a few gulps. Leaving the pipe to its metal box, I walked slowly on. Regular piles beside each door must signify the homes of other leets. It did not occur to me to try and seek help from them. My intrusion into their space, even if it could be achieved, was unthinkable. Nor did I consider the closed door suggested other leets had yet to make the same brave move to here, the outside, and that they might need help. I shuddered at the thought of the nearness of other humans, even if they were leets. I'd never heard any mention about how many of us there were. I did know we shared an existence in a huge tower built to keep the undeserving, the violent, the germ spreaders at bay. I'd never really thought beyond the vert stories of the vital importance of maintaining our distance from those who would seek to take our wealth and privilege from us. Life was to be enjoyed, not worried about. And of course we must be safe from nature itself, from weather extremes, from floods and destructive winds. Another loud clanking startled me. I looked ahead and saw nothing. For some reason, I also looked back the way I'd come. Hurtling towards me was another box, similar to the ones dispensing food, but high up. It flew through the air. I ducked just as it zoomed over me and disappeared into the gloom. I leant against the wall, breathing fast. In either direction, all was still, apart from another slow metal food delivery box. Clutching my bed cover to my face, I moved, 
forward into the dimness, stepping watchfully over the debris that had rolled away from the piles. Even so, I missed some decomposed fruit or vegetable. I almost fell as my foot slipped under its mushy surface. The feel of the slime horrified me. My voice responded without any thought from me. Ugh! I didn't know how to remove the repulsive substance from my foot. I didn't want it on my clothes or on the bed cover. I rubbed my foot on the floor a few times and it seemed to help a bit. Looking around for something else to use, I noticed what seemed to be a lightning of the gloom up ahead. Spurred on, I stepped a little faster towards it. The corridor opened into a great circular space. Above huge windows high in the roof let in light over an enormous hole below. The sight of blue sky cheered me. Other corridors met close to the hole. A wall and some metal railings grew from the edge. Checking every way and back, afraid of more zooming boxes, I made my way towards them. Peering over them, down into the hole, I could see its sides were lined with long winding staircases. They looked much like the stairs mentioned on the safety vid. They were supposed to move when you stepped onto them. Should I go down? Another glance at the round space revealed only more versions of what I'd already seen. The mouths of corridors barred with red floor lights. It meant leaving my home, my floor. And how far down did the hole go? Would I be able to get back? I racked my memory. Yes, Angel had mentioned, in that very unlikely situation I would need to go outside, to a place of safety, I would use the moving staircase down, and I would return on the stairs in an upward-moving fashion. On the other hand, Angel had said there would be an elegant corridor, oral instructions and guiding signs. My only help came from the strips of red and green light. In the great well of stairs, green lights descended as far as I could see. However deep it might be, it glowed green. Taking a deep breath, I tugged the bed cover up over my shoulders so it wouldn't trail and trip me. I grasped the handrail at the top of the stairs and made a step. I wasn't sure how quickly the long flight would move, but somehow I wasn't too surprised to find it didn't move at all. I placed one foot and then the other, gingerly, in case the world would suddenly move under me. Some fresher, less smelly air filled the well. I counted each tread, moving with more confidence as the flight remained static. At 120, I arrived at the floor below. The circular room looked just like the one above. I walked around, examining each corridor. All bore strips of red lights, except the next long flight of stairs. Making my way down to the next and the next floor until I stopped and sat down against a wall. The tomatoes and the handful of water had helped, but only a little. How far down must I go before I found proper nourishment? The corridors smelt bad and the air in them stuffy. I stared down the stairwell to the next floor. From far above in the diminishing light of the sky windows, it was hard to make out. But I thought I saw something different. Even before I completed another 120 treads, I could see this floor, one more below, bore a different aspect than the others. Instead of grey walls, the circular room was filled with glass windows looking into it. For the first time in days, I saw a light, bright room. 
I stepped so close to the window my nose bumped against it. A long, highly polished table lined with carved and cushioned chairs were arranged in front of walls, coloured deep red. Matching cabinets lined the walls, covered with elegant statues and vases. At one end, a vast canvas depicted some people. They wore strange clothes, but they all seemed happy, smiling, beautiful and relaxed. I wanted to be in there. I waved my hands in the now familiar but all too futile entry gesture. Pressing at the window frames and the big panes only resulted in my handprints smudging them. Then I happened to move both my hands sideways against one frame, and it moved. It didn't swish out of existence like the doors in my apartment. It glided to one side, according to how hard I pushed it. The floor felt soft and warm after the hard, cold ones of the corridors and stairs. A high ceiling arched above, decorated with ornate moulding. Cherubs blew trumpets from garlands of fruits and flowers. Glittering chandeliers cast warm tints everywhere. For the first time since I'd woken to whatever had changed my world, my spirits lifted. Though I'd never been to such a place, it suggested that somewhere, somehow, the company lived on. I would find help. Long minutes trundled by. I sat on one of the carved and cushioned chairs, taking in the grandeur of my surroundings. After some while, I noticed a curtain in one corner. It hung from a long wooden pole. I poked at it and it gave way. A few more prods and a gap appeared in the centre. I pushed my way through and immediately lights flashed on, harsher and more tinged with purple than those in the great room. A less grand place, no doubt, but one that was nevertheless impressive in its own way. The floor felt smooth and clean. Along the bright white walls stood neat stacks of glass-fronted units. As I came close to one, it lit up and revealed plates of beautifully arranged food. My heart raced. I waved my hand in front of it, to no avail. I ran around the room, seeing the cabinets light up and display not just luscious-looking fruits and meat replacements, but cups and glasses of liquids. Dismay descended again. The cabinets knew I was there. They lit up. Why wouldn't they open and let me eat and drink like a leech should? Sobs sprang for me, shaking my whole body. I slumped against one stack, slipping down to the floor, my arms stretched above me. My hands made one more feeble wave. One of my fingers became caught in a protruding part of a frame. I tugged it to set it free. The window made a sucking noise and opened. Cold air blew into my face. I reached in, clutched at apples, bread and cheese. Finally, the window swung shut. I placed the plate carefully on the floor and rushed back to where I had seen drinks. Glasses paraded past, containing pastel and exotic colours. I located a thing that looked like the one that had allowed me to access the food. I tugged, and this window also opened. For once, I didn't go for the green drink. It reminded me too much of the horrible rotting pile by my front door. I lifted a deep pink one, a dark blue one, and an orange one from the chilled shelf, and placed each one beside my feet. Gathering my riches to the centre of the room, taking care not to spill one precious drop, I sat on the bedroom quilt 
and began my picnic. The deep pink drink turned out to be quite thick, the blue one less so. I tipped it down my throat in huge gulps. For the first few seconds it felt wonderful. The dry stickiness in my mouth washed away, my tongue no longer stuck to my cheeks and lips. But then my stomach felt strange and uncomfortable, almost as if it were trying to bulge through my skin. Perhaps, going from holding just a few tomatoes and mouthfuls of water, the latest deluge was too much for it. I picked some bread, breaking it into manageable pieces. I nibbled the cheese. Such flavour! I crunched my way to the seedless core of the apple. When I had drunk each glass to the bottom, much more slowly, I sat for a while. Then realising I felt extremely sleepy, I picked up my bed cover and made my way back to the other room. Beside some of the walls, gilt and red sofas stretched out, piled with all sorts of cushions. I tested one and found it comfortable. I arranged the pillows and made myself a nest. Pulling the bed cover over me, I fell into a contented sleep. I don't know. When I awoke, it took a few seconds to remember where I was. Sitting up, I stretched my arms and legs. And yes, it would be useful. Not desperately, but not too long either. Whoever used this room might need one, unless they were androids. No, androids didn't need food and drink. I wandered across the dark brown flooring, noticing it resembled wood patterns. There was no sign of another curtain but repeated attempts to walk through walls were rewarded with a welcome swish. This hygiene room offered multiple ESs, each hidden in a small cubicle. Why would there be so many? In fact, now I thought about it, why did the table have so many chairs and why was it so big? After using the ES, I looked for a sanitizer, but I couldn't identify anything that would do the job. I wanted to clean my foot because though it had dried, the residue of slime still smelled pretty unpleasant. In a shelf of black marble set a row of sunken bowls. A gold three-sided shape hung over each one. I stroked the marble with my hand, following the contours into the curves of the bowls. The scents felt enjoyable. Suddenly, warm water flowed over the hand I had in the bowl. I jerked it away. The flow stopped. Carefully, I extended my hand again. Warm water splashed over it once again. While not accustomed to cleaning with water, swimming made me quite aware of the effects on the body. I rubbed my hands together under the waterfall and wiped my face, feeling pleasantly refreshed. I rubbed my hands under the gold strip again, and this time some creamy liquid combined with the water and turned it into foamy bubbles. I laughed! They were pretty and delightful. I looked around for somewhere to dry myself, like the unit in my gym after a swim, but I couldn't find anything. My face dried by itself, and I ran the wettest part of my hands down my tunic. Rolling up the bottom of my leggings, I placed my slimed foot under the gold bar, 
moving it around till creamy liquid reappeared and spread the foam over it, wetting my hands again. A dark blotch had appeared above my toes. I scrubbed at it with my fingers and gasped. It hurt. That's where the discomfort had shocked me when I kicked the chair. I wobbled as I balanced on one leg, grabbing the marble shelf to steady me. My fitness training came to my aid. Cautiously, I lifted my foot from the bowl, dragged it down the side of my other leg to dry it, then performed the awkward manoeuvre to place my other foot into the bowl. I noticed the bottom of my second foot, even though it hadn't encountered the slime, was not its normal clean self. I washed it. Though I didn't feel hungry, the knowledge that food and drink lay nearby, as well as memories of neither, made me want to go back and at least be sure they hadn't disappeared while I slept. Back in the great red room, I looked around once more, amazed at its size and decor. Now I had food again and had slept, I seemed to notice more and more about it, and though I wanted to go back to the food dispensers, I strayed towards the large painting. Like many of the pictures made by the great masters, the people seemed not to mind touching each other. That meant it was very old. No leet would happily touch another, but humans had, in the past. That was how epidemics and then the pandemic spread, wiping out so many from the earth. This must be from a pre-leet era. Those sitting or standing in a sunny garden of red and white roses, green grass and trees were obviously wealthy. Their strange clothes still suggested fine materials, and their hair glistened with health. I wondered who they were and who had painted them. Would the Aristo-Anglo android male buy it and consider it an investment? Maybe I would go and find some more food before I considered it more. Just before I turned to go, I leaned closer to try and spot an artist's signature. A musical chime climbed the scale. Welcome to Futures Incorporated. End of part three. Continue to part four. Subscribe for future updates. Share and rate this record to promote future historical research. Visit losteartharchive.com to support continued restoration of this project. Terminating connection.